Well, good morning, Cross Point. Uh, today we get the distinct opportunity to celebrate with a Cross Pointer who is going public with her faith and, and obeying the Lord in baptism. We love Baptism Day around Cross Point because it reminds us of some truths of Scripture. It reminds us that the gospel is still at work, that the Lord is still changing lives, that the Spirit of God is still at work changing lives, transforming, saving, and redeeming people and reconciling people to himself. It reminds us that God works through relationships. In Matthew 28, we are charged to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Matthew 28 calls believers to be disciple makers, to be those who would go and to make disciples. And today we see that on display Baptism also reminds us of the new life that we have in Christ. Baptism illustrates the, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ when we go under the water and back up. So it, it illustrates to us the new life that we have in Christ, that our old sin nature has been nailed to a cross, buried in a tomb, and we've been raised to a new life. We've been given new life in Christ, and we walk now in obedience to Him. Baptism doesn't make you a believer. It demonstrates that you already believe. You are saved only by your faith in Jesus Christ. Our salvation is not based upon on how good you and I are inherently. Instead, it is based on, on what Jesus has done. And is our faith in Him or is our faith in ourselves? Baptism is declaring before friends and family, a church family, I identify with Jesus. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And I'm publicly testifying to his grace at work in my life. And so today we get to celebrate with Kate Wilson. We're super excited to see her take this step. So, Kate, you want to come out and share your testimony? I would love to. Thank you. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. My name is Kate Wilson, and here is my story. I was baptized as a young child in the Lutheran Church. My parents divorced when I was 10, and my mom continued to take my brother and I to church. Actually, most times she had to drag us there, but I'm grateful for her persistence as I feel it gave me a base for my relationship with Christ. However, I don't feel that I had a real connection to God. I made some poor decisions throughout high school, and I didn't care who they affected. I went on to college, and not sure why, but I turned into a negative, jealous, critical person who looked for the worst in people. At that time, I didn't know the joy that came from having a relationship with God. A few years after getting married, I felt the need to find a home church, and I discovered Cross Point. There wasn't an exact moment that I accepted Christ, but along the way, he was there the whole time. As I look back at the last several years, I can see that there were many people, family and friends, that God placed in my life at the time that I needed them, and I'm so thankful for that. Coming to the realization that we are a new creation in Christ was so huge to me. I didn't have to be the same person. I could be a new person, and I didn't have to worry about regrets, and um, I could just look forward to um, a better life. My perspective on so many things in my life started to change. Then I realized it was God who was changing my heart. As I became a mother, I realized that as much as I love my son and daughter, the fact that we are God's children and he loves us infinitely more than that just blew my mind. 
What an awesome God to welcome us back into his arms after we sin time and time again. I started depending on him and going to him with any problems I was having, and I felt at peace. Truthfully, I've been putting off getting baptized for over 10 years. How does this make any sense? Why wouldn't I want to go public with my commitment and show my children, husband, friends, and family that Jesus is my Savior? So this is the time, and I am ready. God is so good and has changed me into a different person. I'm still a major work in progress, but I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to grow with him. I'll end with my favorite Bible verse that has really impacted me over the years. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. There's another promise in scripture that uh, reminds us that God is faithful to finish what he has begun. And he is faithful to finish what he has begun in you, Kate. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father God, we, uh, we love you, and we are grateful for the evidence of your grace at work, your spirit at work. We're grateful for the evidence that, um, that the gospel is still at work. We pray that you would continue to do uh, transforming work in Kate's life, and in her household, and in her family, and, and in and through her as a follower of you. We're grateful for how she is a disciple maker and how you've called her to go. We're grateful for the promise that, that you are faithful to finish what you've begun. We love you, we give you the glory, we give you the honor, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, you can head back to class. After the kids head back to class, our First Impressions team is going to be handing out what we call our connection card booklets, and this is an opportunity for you to, if you're newer to Crosspoint, to raise your hand to say, hey, I'm here, and I want to be kept in the know on what's happening around here, and I want to make myself known, and gives us an opportunity to get to know you, as well as if there's a next step for any of us to take, we encourage you to take that uh, as the Spirit would lead you, whether it's baptism or something else on there. And also a prayer request. If there's something we can be praying for you about, we'd love to pray with you about. So if you're the last person in your row, you can just leave that booklet underneath your seat. We've got a booklet for every, um, every row. A couple family news items uh, I want to share with you just so you can be praying. A couple households are experiencing surgeries in the next couple weeks, and so we want to be praying for them. Uh, one household is the Benkendorfs, uh, Brian and Miranda. Brian uh, works with Kat, and he's, uh, he was in Japan this last week. On, uh, on business trip and got hit by a vehicle. And so he has a broken leg and a uh, se severe uh, concussion. And so his surgery is scheduled for a week from tomorrow. And so Miranda is still trying to get there with an expedited passport and those kind of things. So be praying for them. Um, and uh, this is um, 
you know, it's just a, be praying for them. There's a lot going on there. And then uh, George Jenkins, George and Kim are cross-pointers in their family. Uh, George is scheduled for his third brain surgery. He's been battling brain cancer now for, uh, for two, three years. And so uh, he's scheduled for surgery this coming Wednesday. And so uh, I just want to pause and pray for those households, and then we'll get into uh, the word. Father God, we pray that you would reign supreme in both these households. God, we pray that, um, that you would bring endurance, that you would bring healing, that you would bring uh, a deeper trust in you even in these times. We are grateful that you hear our prayers, grateful that, that none of this has taken you by surprise, that, that you are uh, out ahead, that you are um, aware uh, of the things that we are uh, walking through, that these households are walking through that you haven't forsaken them, that you're present, and that you're there hearing their prayers, hearing our prayers. Thank you for being a father who cares for his children. And so we trust that you're at work even in these moments where, where it might be difficult to see or it might be um, where we're walking through suffering. We trust you because our hope is in you and because of the resurrection we have a living hope. And so do incredible work that would glorify you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Two Sundays from now, it's Christmas Eve. So uh, on that Sunday morning, we are having extended time together with a breakfast at 9 o'clock and then candlelight service here at 10 o'clock. So we encourage you to be a part of that and invite others to join you on that Sunday morning as we gather together to celebrate Christmas. If you have a Bible, get to the book of Acts. Last week, we began a new series called The Church on Mission. This series will go through the end of February minus uh, Christmas Eve, and we'll be making our way through the storyline of much of the book of Acts. And as a part of this series, we're encouraging you to engage in the uh, Acts reading plan, uh, in the monthly scripture memory, as well as the study guide that's back at Guest Connections for $4. We encourage you to get that for your household. That coincides with the Sunday morning messages that we'll be going through through February, but those are all ways for us to engage uh, in the Word and engage in uh, just reading it and reflecting on it throughout the week and not just on Sunday mornings. Also, last Sunday, we did something unique that, that we only have done one other time in our past uh, 14 and a half years as a church. Consi considering the series is called The Church on Mission, we had this conviction that we needed to encourage and equip you as households, households who call this church home, equip you and I to go be on mission. And so last Sunday, we had 100 envelopes available uh, that we wanted to send out to households who were here on that Sunday. So if you missed that Sunday, uh, sorry, you missed it. Um, but uh, we had 100 households that collectively had $2,000 in them. So increments of 10, 20, 50, and a couple hundreds in there. And so we, uh, here, here's one cool thing. We had 100 households. That was our best guess. We're like, all right, I think this will be enough. 99 went out. How about that? God's in the details of those kind of things. But our encouragement was to, okay, be, go be on mission. Pray, ask the Spirit to lead you. Add to that dollar figure, whatever you got. Obey the Lord, and then make sure you don't make it about you. Make sure you don't practice your, your, uh, your acts of goodness, your acts of righteousness with a self-righteous attitude. And so I've already heard a couple stories this last week about how God is is at work in you, and I encourage you to share those, not for your glory, but for us to encourage one another in some of those stories and how God is uh, equipping us and encouraging us to be on mission. So 
uh, shoot me an email or talk to a member of the staff or elder team and share those kind of things. On November 19th, we looked at Acts 1 and the promise from Jesus that after he ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit would come in his place and the Spirit would empower his people to be witnesses for Christ. He told the disciples in John 16 that it was to their advantage that he go away and the Spirit come in his place. His counsel to them in Acts 1 was to wait. That's what they do. We see them actually do that because that's what followers of Jesus do. They take his word as his word and they obey it. They seek to align their lives with his living and active word. Then in Acts 2, which we preached on last week, the Spirit then comes in power. The disciples receive the Spirit. They waited in chapter 1. They receive in chapter 2. And that results in the disciples being witnesses for the Lord. That witness is through both the telling and the preaching of the good news that we see Peter do. 3,000 people respond to that message, get saved, get baptized. And then what we also see is this witness is in their gospel community with one another. That the Lord added to their number daily to this community that was radically different than what they'd seen before. It was a community that was unified and mutual in its care and generous and devoted to prayer and fellowship and breaking of bread and to truth. Next week, we're going to share more about how we intend on growing in that as a church. Some practical ways in January that we are going to say, we need to grow in reflecting Acts 2, 42 through 47, and here's some ways that we're going to do that. So next week, we'll share more about that. The work that Jesus began in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and his earthly ministry, that work is continuing then in the story of Acts. Today, we're in Acts 3 and 4, and we'll see the disciples continue to do ministry in the name of Jesus. And that ministry is, is not something done in their own strength or power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. You could easily call the book of Acts not just the Acts of the Apostles, but some people say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is the one at work in and through the Apostles. Today we'll see that. We, we've been doing ministry in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit as a church for over 14 years. Our prayers that we might continue to do Spirit-empowered ministry in the name of Jesus for decades to come. Why is that our prayer? Because that's what we see in the New Testament. That's what we see the early church doing. That's the model we pull from. It's one thing Christ followers do. We don't just come to a Sunday service to gather and, and sing and give and, and to be taught from the Word, encouraged from the Word. It's not just that. We are also called to serve, to be His hands and feet. What we don't see in the book of Acts, in, in Acts 3, is after 3,000 people get saved in Acts 2, we don't see the disciples then in Acts 3 say, okay, we're good. Let's just kind of um, wrap up here and let's turn inward and we've reached the nations. There you go. No, they don't do that because the mission is to reach the nations, to the end of the earth. The call from Jesus has been that they would be his witnesses in ever-expanding circles, that the gospel would be expanding, and we as the local church, a reflection of the New Testament then, we continue in that same pattern. We want to see the gospel expand into households and expand geographically to more and more people. In a sense, the apostles in, in Acts 3 and 4 and throughout Acts are saying, let's go. If Acts 1 was, let's wait, and Acts 2 was, let's receive, well, Acts 3, 4, and some of 
chapter 2 for sure, but ongoing is, okay, let's go. We, we've got our, our mission from Jesus to go and make disciples, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now let's go. Let's walk by faith. So today in these chapters, I want us to find uh, eight principles of what spirit-empowered ministry in the name of Jesus looks like. As God's people, I believe we'll be encouraged and reminded of these eight things because because here's the reality is we've got years up ahead of ministry to do. Years up ahead. I have a long view of this, not just t- today, but we have years up ahead to be involved in ministry, and we are called to, to not be spectators watching others engage in ministry, but we are called to be active members of his body, engaged in ministry, engaged in serving, engaged in proclaiming the gospel. Ephesians 2.10 says that, that we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Well, here in Acts 3 and 4, we'll see the apostles walk in good works that the Lord prepared in advance for, for them to do. And we do the same thing. This week, the Lord has prepared good works for you and I to do. Now, it's our role as his people to walk in those, to obey those, to trust him and walk by faith. So Acts 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened. So two of the eight principles I want to pull from this. The first one is this, spirit-empowered ministry is to people. Peter and John are seeing the beggar as a person, not a project, but someone to be loved. They're making eye contact. They're not walking past. We've been called to minister to people, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we might say, well, duh. Is this how the eight principles are going to go? Like these are going to be that life-changing and rocket science. Whoa. But we forget this. See, we're so in a hurry to get to the next thing. We're so in a hurry. Well, that's my destination, and we forget the Lord is at work in this process as well. And sometimes we see things just as a task, and we forget the simplicity that we are called to minister to people. As you serve around this this place, for example, it's to people that we minister to. It's to one another and those who walk in our doors. The second principle, spirit-empowered ministry is powerful. It changes the lives of people it serves and ministers to. When we, when we minister in the name of Jesus, it impacts the whole of a person, not just the outward, not just the symptom. For this man, the end goal wasn't the healing necessarily. The ultimate miracle was, the, was that the healing led the man to worship, to praise God. Not only had his body been transformed, but his heart 
had been transformed. Ministry in the name of Jesus is powerful. We serve a God who is infinite in power and wisdom, who is sovereign over all things, who's not limited in any way. He's still doing miracles to this day and will until Jesus returns. As God's people, though, we don't need a miracle per se to prove that we serve a great God. Jesus performed countless miracles and the vast majority of the people still rejected him. The Israelites saw great miracles. For instance, Red Sea parts, walk over on dry land, Egyptians vanquished and conquered. Oh, let's worship the Lord. And then within a short amount of time, they've moved from worship of the Lord to worship of a golden calf. A miracle necessarily wasn't the thing to prove to them who, how great their God was. Our God is not subject to our demands for a miracle. But when miracles such as physical healing, the saving of a soul, the bold testimony and sharing of the good news, the unexpected financial provision, the dramatic setting free of an addiction, when those miracles do happen, they should lead us to worship. They should lead us to the praise of the one who did the work just as they did here to this man in Acts 3. We don't pursue the miracle as ultimate. We pursue the one who is behind them, the one who's doing the work. So this crowd has seen this 40-something-year-old man crippled from birth, getting up, walking, leaping, praising God. And the crowd is filled with awe and astonishment, but their awe and astonishment is misdirected. It's misplaced. They think Peter and John are to be praised. The story continues in verse 11. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people utterly astonished ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power or godliness? Here's the third principle. Spirit-empowered ministry is glorifying to God, not us. It's about Jesus, not us. We serve and worship the one true God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. That is why we believe God is still able to do whatever he pleases, miracle or not. He's sovereign. He's infinite. He's not suddenly limited. He's in control. He has a plan. He is Lord. So as a result, he gets the glory. What Jesus began in the Gospels, he is continuing. Jesus healed in the Gospels. And so Peter is saying, why would it seem strange to you that Jesus won't continue to heal now that he's ascended to heaven? He can heal from anywhere. The Spirit has been given. God is alive and active. You get the sense that Peter didn't even for a millisecond think about taking any of this glory. Crowd is rushing over. I mean, this whole thing could go to your head pretty quickly, right? When the Lord's used you to, to bring about a healing in someone's life. Crowd is rushing over, and you might be tempted to say, yeah, 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 it, it's me. But Peter and John, they don't, not even for a millisecond, he redirects them. It's not about glorifying us. It's about glorifying God. He's, he's witnessed a resurrected Jesus. Peter knows that he is simply a man. He immediately turns the crowd's focus away from him and on to Jesus and his good news. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate. Though he had decided to release him, 
you denied the, the Holy and Righteous One and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of, witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. And then skipping to verse 29, God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. So the next principle in this section is spirit-empowered ministry is about proclaiming the gospel. Do you see how Peter steps into this God-given opportunity to talk about who Jesus is, what he's done, and then call the people to respond to that good news through faith and repentance. Ultimately, Peter doesn't make it about the healing testimony. That only leads to a proclamation of the good news. He's calling the people to find ultimately their healing for their own sin through faith in Christ. To repent means to agree with the Lord to walk in a new direction, to turn around, to, instead of disagreeing with the Lord, agree with Him. Repent is a word of hope. It's a word of hope because there's a promise given there that when we repent and place our faith in Christ, our sins are wiped out. Past, present, and future, they are covered by His blood. That's a word of hope. The gospel of God's grace is hope that change and salvation and transformation is possible that eternity with the Lord is possible. That what, what was once separated or broken can be brought together or reconciled. Spirit-empowered ministry is not just a bunch of random good, good deeds going kind of nowhere. Spirit-empowered ministry in the name of Jesus is going somewhere. The goal is to proclaim the gospel. The goal of the good work and the service is to, is to show and tell of the good news. That even though we are born sinners, there is a Savior who has come to rescue and redeem, and his name is Jesus. Verse 16 says, Peter saying that it is in his name that the man is healed. It is in his name that salvation is found. Then beginning in chapter 4, while they were speaking to the people, the priests the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into, the, into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Here's the principle we see there. Spirit-empowered ministry in the name of Jesus Continue, continues despite persecution. You could actually argue from the book of Acts, ministry not only continues, but it flourishes in the face of persecution. Because what you see here and elsewhere in the book of Acts is that the church grew numerically, 
It grew in strength. It grew in joy. It grew geographically, even in the face of persecution. And that seems odd to us Americans. But that's the reality. We think the gospel only works in safety or comfort or freedom. In the book of Acts, heavy human persecution. And yet the gospel is flourishing. It's growing. The church is flourishing. The Sadducees were, were greatly disturbed that Peter and John would be talking about the resurrection because they didn't believe in the resurrection. The joke is that they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. It's not my joke. It's someone who likes puns. Maybe Pastor Eric's joke. But 3,000 had gotten saved in Acts 2. That number then grows, and here it's 5,000 men are counted. So the church is exceeding 10,000 people at this point, even in the face of human persecution, even in the face of human leaders trying to squelch it. And we see that persecution continue in verse 5. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. So in verses 1 through 6, there are 11 different groups or leaders being talked about there that are opposing the apostles. Not that long ago in the storyline, Peter denied he even knew Christ when a little servant girl asked him about him in a courtyard on Good Friday. Here, Peter's testifying about Jesus, saying, I identify with him, I follow him in front of the very people, the very group of people who conspired to kill Jesus. And now Peter is boldly proclaiming before that same exact group Here's who Jesus is. And he is not mincing words, is he? You crucified him. You killed him. But God raised him from the dead. Why is he not mincing words? Why is he not hiding this time? Why is he not denying this time? Two reasons. Holy Spirit has been given. He has Holy Spirit power. Secondly, Jesus was raised from the dead. Peter says, I follow him. I don't care what you can do in this life. I follow the one who beat death. I win. He wins. And so I don't have to mince words. I don't have to grow fearful. I don't have to not be bold. I can be bold because the gospel is powerful. The power of God is powerful. He makes it really clear. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. The salvation is only found in him. The gospel of God's grace is exclusive, meaning there's one way to salvation. It's through faith in Christ. And the gospel of God's grace is radically inclusive, meaning all are welcome. 
to respond to that gospel. All are welcome to receive and trust in Jesus Christ. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, the Lord shows no partiality. And notice the leaders make no attempt to um, disprove the resurrection of Jesus. They make no attempt to that in here because they got nothing. They got no answer to that. This would have been the time, had they had an answer to that, to begin to use it. They have nothing. The leaders here assumed that ultimate power resided in them because that's how they operated. It was in their own strength and might. But for Peter and John and every disciple since, we know that power resides not in us but in his name. That we bear the titles of ambassador and witness. But those titles have no power in and of themselves. The ambassador represents someone else. The witness testifies to what they've seen and heard. Because the power is in the name of Jesus Christ, not in the witness or the ambassador. Ministry is continuing in the face of persecution. And the next principle tells us why. It's found in verse 11 when Peter quotes from the Old Testament. Spirit-empowered ministry in the name of Jesus Christ has Christ at the cornerstone. So when persecution comes, the foundations don't shake. When external circumstances change, they don't look promising. When you've got 11 people looking at you, the same 11 who killed the one who you followed for three plus years, who could kill you, it doesn't shake because Christ is the cornerstone. It's not on Peter. It's not on John. It's not on their, their earthly credentials. The whole thing doesn't collapse or crumble because Christ is the, is the cornerstone, not you and I. This week, you should read 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Because you will see him quote the Old Testament again about how Christ is the cornerstone of the church. And then you will see how it leads to good works that he calls the people to do in the face of persecution. 1 Peter is written in the face of persecution. So you should read that this week. The church is being built with Christ as the cornerstone. That's beginning here in Acts. It continues to this day. And the cornerstone of our ministry is not a method, a strategy, a, a, a human. The cornerstone of this church is Jesus Christ, the risen King, the one who is full of grace and truth, and truth and grace. Verse 13 then. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it, and yet they will not submit themselves to the Lord. They can't disprove the miracle, but their pride continues to keep them from submitting to the Lord. But so that this thing does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this, in his, in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And verse 19, again, speaking to the same crowd who killed Jesus, same leaders who led to it. He has the power of the Holy Spirit. He has, he's witnessed the resurrected Jesus. Verse 19, Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to, rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. 
After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For the sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. That's encouraging to hear because I'm 41. That's encouraging. Uh, the next, mir- the pr- next principle here is that the spirit-empowered ministry is, is bold. It's fearless. The ESV Study Bible defines boldness as this, spirit-inspired courage and confidence to speak in spite of danger or threat. And Peter and John were bold and fearless and full of courage because they'd been with Jesus. That's verse 13. A sure cause of why we lack boldness or courage is not because the Lord is not present with us, or because the Holy Spirit is lacking, it's because we're not abiding in Him. We're not remaining connected to Him. We're not spending time with Him in prayer, reading His living and active word, or in community, in, in community with fellow believers. Just like Peter and John, we are called to spend time with Jesus. Believers in Christ are in relationship with Him. And any earthly relationship you desire to see grow requires time, Correct? The same way vertically when it comes to Christ. To spend time with the Lord will lead to a growing courage, a growing fearlessness, a growing boldness, a growing love. Verse 23. After they were were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. All that's saying is that they're trusting in God's sovereignty. They're trusting, Lord, you've been unfolding this plan of salvation and the redemption of people since the Old Testament. You're greater than all the kings and rulers of this earth. You are orchestrating all these events that led to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ so that salvation could be possible. You're the creator of all things. Nothing is beyond you. When they say master there in verse 24, master is the idea that that he can't be questioned. He's in complete control. And knowing all of that truth reminds us of the last principle. Spirit-empowered ministry is prayerful. It's prayerful. Since our God is supreme, he is the one we approach with needs and requests. We don't serve a God who is some weak God sitting in a rocking chair somewhere. He's almighty, king of kings. Why would we not turn to him in prayer? Confessing our dependency and our need for him, asking him to do great and powerful things in the lives of the people around us, including our own hearts, so that he would get the glory. Their prayer continues in verse 29. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of, the, of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they had, were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. What do they pray for? 
This is radically different than how we pray sometimes. They prayed for boldness, courage. They're not shrinking back. They're not praying for comfort. They're not praying for relief. They're actually not praying for the persecution to stop. I'm not saying those things are bad to pray for. But what are they praying for? Boldness, courage, their own faithfulness. Lord, enable us to be faithful. They know the trouble is not going away. And yet they know the truth that the Lord is supreme over evil. The resurrection is proof to that. On the outside, it looks like evil has triumphed over good. In reality, in the plan of salvation, it is good triumphing over evil. It's Genesis 50, verse 20. What you intended to harm me or what you intended for evil, the Lord has intended for good, the saving of many lives. It's the truth that if God is for us, who can be against us? Not in an arrogant, self-confidence way, but in a worshipful, confident way in who our God is. They're very aware of their own responsibility. They are witnesses called to speak of the good news. They're called to show and tell. But they're not going to do it in their own strength. They're not going to do it relying on their own power, but rather on the power of the Holy Spirit. Their dependence, their dependence is on the Lord. And they pray and the Lord answers. Power comes as a result of prayer. We might say, well, we're just not feeling very bold in this life. Well, Acts 4 invites us to, to pray. It calls us to prayer. I love how these two chapters, um, prayer is involved in both. You see prayer at the end of chapter 4 here. Prayer is not excluded. You saw it in chapter 1 as they waited. They were united together in prayer. Chapter 2, they were devoted to several things, including prayer. And here in chapter 4 as well. It's just what the early church did. God is using ordinary people. Ordinary people who are prayerful before an extraordinary God who've been with Jesus, who are dependent upon him and who believe that nothing was impossible with God because it's the same God at work in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and to this day. Verse 24 says they raised their voices together. They didn't all pray individually. The, the idea here is that uh, one person prayed and they all agreed with that. So it wasn't chaotic. It was one or two people praying and yes, we agree with that. They were united in prayer. So before we go back into worship and singing, uh, we're going to do that. Uh, I would encourage you to break into groups of uh, 5, 10, 15 people. The people around you, if you need to get up and move, uh, do so. Uh, if you're a guest with us right now, you're like, oh boy, this is when things are getting weird. Where's the snake coming? Um, <laughs> fog machine, where's that? No, it's not weird. We just want to reflect the, ch the church in the New Testament. And this is an opportunity for us to do that. So this is not weird. We're just trying to uh, be biblical, if you will, and ha take an opportunity to, um, to reflect the early church. And so... Um, pray have one or two people in your group pray and then i'll close at the end but let's let's spend some time in prayer let's pray in reflection of what we've seen and heard here in acts three and four pray for our own hearts pray for this ministry pray for this area sound good well you don't really have a choice so um, 
All right, break into groups, and I'll stop talking, and I'll pray afterwards. Father, we pray that, uh, that you would remind us continually this week as we go about our lives of, of the truth and things we've seen in Acts 3 and 4 and how the early church did ministry and how it was a, a spirit-empowered ministry. It was the, in the ministry uh, in the name of Jesus. Remind us that it is to people. Give us eyes for the people that we work with, we go to school with, we live with that we cross paths with. Remind us uh, when we doubt or have an unbelief uh, spirit that uh, ministry in the name of Jesus is powerful, it changes lives. Remind us that it's for your glory and, and not for us. I pray that your gospel, that the good news would be proclaimed as we show and tell with our lives. We pray for brothers and sisters around this world who are facing persecution. We pray that their ministries and their witness would flourish in the face of that. Thank you for the truth that this church is founded on you, that you are our cornerstone. It's nothing and no one else. Teach us to be bold and, fear, and fearless and full of courage and give us opportunity and conviction to spend time with you so that those things are cultivated and stirred up in our heart. And teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to be prayerful and dependent. Thank you that you do not forsake. Thank you that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. We trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.